Hello and welcome to Hot Takes, the story screen podcast where we see a movie. We don't talk about the, we don't talk about the movie. We don't talk about it until we come to the microphone all together as a family and regurgitate all of our thoughts, feelings, emotions into the microphone. My name is Robert Anderson. I'll be hosting this episode today. I'm joined by Jack Kolodesky and Bernadette Gorman White. Those are that's that's good. My favorite people. It is good. <laughs> that's good. Thanks for having us just here. Have a couple, a couple yes, friends just talking about just movies. Get sitting down at the table. Just really and... shooting the shit, cash style. <laughs> yeah, that's, just, what I, that's what I like. On a Wednesday evening, chopping it up. You know, it's hump day. It is hump day. Just gotta see a movie. Just relax. Yeah, we saw a movie. Kick some brews back. What movie we see? Ladies and germs. Isle of Dogs. Mm, Isle of Dogs. Directed by that Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Isle of Dogs. Our Isle, best friend. Isle, Our Isle best friend, dogs. my father, Wes Anderson. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, spelled the same way, I believe. There's because, only really one way to spell Anderson. No, you could do, you could do, uh, like, you really have... S-O-N, you could do S-E-N. I've mm-hmm. seen that before. Get I, I know it's weird, but, you know, people thought I was weird for spelling my name, R-O-B-B-Y. Instead of I-E? Instead yeah. of R-O-B-B-I? <laughs> yeah, the the correct yeah. <laughs> the correct way to do it. I mean, that's when you're feeling freaky. Robbie, um, <laughs> what you guys think of Isle of Dogs? This is definitely like one of our more anticipated movies. I would say after Black Panther is probably the biggest release of 2018 so far. Mm-hmm. How do we all? How do we all feel? I mean, right off the bat, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it even more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, because as with any Wes Anderson movie, the trailers kind of give you just a little taste. But you're always like, this is a movie. It's going to be great. Even with that little taste. And then you get the full meal when you show up to watch the movie. And it just Mm. makes it that much better. I think it was like, what, 15 minutes in, Ravi, that I just looked at you. Jack was smiling ear to ear. He was so happy. I just looked over at Ravi and I was like, this is wonderful. I'm so happy. I love this. Yeah. And that more or less continued the entire movie. I... I was sitting there. I was hyped to see the movie, um, but I was like sitting there, and the credits were rolling, or like it was like starting, and I'm like, I'm like almost excited as excited for this as I get when I like see Star Wars or something, because yeah. like it's a Wes Anderson movie. Well, we they don't happen every year, you no, know. They like, do not. I mean, we just had our 100th episode. Yes. That we recorded. That you should go check out, listener, if you've not already. Uh, but Robert, you admitted to something. I know. I, I revealed to the world. I have taken the veil off. That Fantastic Mr. Fox is, is one, if not my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not the movie I think is the best movie ever made, but my personal favorite. I think it encapsulates my taste. Your happy place. Robbie likes animation. And I mean, um, this is another animated Wes Anderson joint, yes. so it's definitely in the same vein. Absolutely. And I will say, I definitely, I really enjoyed it. Um... I okay, wouldn't. I wouldn't make it. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not gonna play that game yet until till the end. Until well, well, until I see. I want to see Owl Dogs again. I've seen oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox like again. like a hundred times. You know, yeah. like right. that movie is cemented. That's why it became what it is because I it is comfort food to me. So Isle of Dogs, I think, has the certainly has the capacity to to be one of my favorites, if not my favorite. But right now, I think. I don't think it will be a Fantastic Mr. Fox for me, but mm-hmm. this is not an episode to talk about who's who's best Wes Andersons we like. Well, I, we're definitely going to talk about that on this episode. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, th- I think you're right. Like one of the things that I really appreciate about, appreciate about his movies is that they're crammed with so much detail, both visually and storytelling wise, and, and the writing and everything. Like 
yeah. and even some of the subtlety of the acting as well in there, which still plays, I think, even for an animated movie. Um, there's so much packed in there that it, they're, they really work well for rewatches, I think. I think mm-hmm. so. I think too. even like Royal Tenenbaums, the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, okay, that was a good Wes Anderson. But like the more I saw the movie, I was like, no, there's, there's a lot going on here. I like this a lot. His movies certainly like age better. Um, I think they always come across as very good when you first see them, mm-hmm. but I think right. they they age really well. I, I've seen I watched Grand Budapest Hotel the other day, like a few weeks ago, and I think that was my third time watching it. Yeah, I think that was the time where I was like, that was the most I've liked the movie, and I've always liked it, but like that like third viewing for some reason, I was just like, I just really like this movie. Well, <laughs> it's like right. so good. They're also so timeless for the yeah, most part. Absolutely. I mean, Isle of Dogs, I think fits right in there, like. There's not really. It says, I think, at the top of the movie that it takes place 20 years in the future, but yeah. really, it it feels timeless. But we're not even really sure what the future, like 20 sure. years from what era, yeah, exactly, yeah, because yeah. yeah. they they start off. I mean, I'm sure that's on purpose. Yeah, it I just think so. says 20 I think so years. Too. It says 20 years from now, right? And I think that just assigns another like kind of timeless quality. Mm-hmm. Well, just like you were saying with Royal Tenenbaums and all of his films, with how heavy and rich they are in content to take in i love how a lot of his films like royal tenenbaums and like this one they're told in the context of a story mm-hmm. or like a legend yeah. that you're reading about Rice kingdom kind of does about. that as well right true yeah. I think, well yeah a lot of his worlds have history are built in yeah a world where the story exists and I you're think, kind of um, learning in a certain context which makes it really absolutely right for multiple interpretations the, the world of the movie has existed for a long time he's just telling you one of the stories in the world right and right. the world is not necessarily exactly the same as our world oh absolutely not, yeah. not even in like some of his more grounded movies like royal tenenbaums or even like, or like moonrise kingdom or life aquatic i they don't. They certainly don't feel like a world that I've existed in, mm-hmm. which I wish. I wish I existed in It would be so delightful, yeah. all, like all the time. That right. timeline is way better than the one that you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, maybe in Isle of Dogs is actually not so much. I always kind we'll of get about, into. Uh, I think there's um, and so we like to do the first part of the podcast spoiler free, and then we'll we'll let you know when we dive into spoilers. It's usually midway through during after our commercial break, but. Uh, I always forget that Wes Anderson movies, they always have a darkness. Every single yeah. one has like a weird dark spin on it. And like, you know, you're in these worlds that are so colorful and delightful, but characters die or are exposable or disposable, I should say, mm-hmm. and <laughs> exposable. <laughs> um, and uh, I like, there are some moments in the film where I, I was so taken back by like yeah. some of those dark curveballs. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the premise of this movie you know, is it's dark is is dark inherently because it is about a a future where dogs are exiled to an island an island of trash, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the themes surrounding how that happens and how what's going on with that are very topical for right oh, now. Right, especially you know. learning at the very beginning of the film that this fate for the dogs has almost happened before. Right. And was stopped by kind of like a godsend. Right. Mm-hmm. That but, they were saved. Yeah. And, and it, it just keeps on happening. It's a cycle. Yeah. Right. But it, it harps on the themes of, you know, a, a government that manipulates the fear of Xenophobia. the people yeah. to create mm-hmm. others, to other, the, for an agenda, basically. Right. Uh, I will definitely dig more into that, but... How do you guys right. feel about uh, Japan being the kind of cultural backdrop for this kind of story? And how do you feel about... You know, I think Wes Anderson. I think Wes Anderson is a European man. 
to my knowledge. Um, is am he I American? American? I don't believe I don't think so, he, actually. I don't, is he American? I think so. Really? I think he looks very European. He looks so style. European. Because I know he and Owen Wilson were roommates in college. Oh, well, that still could be. It's still, he still could For be. Sure. Well, uh, may, we can fact check that. Be, research this might right be now. British, but I had a, I thought he was American. I always thought he was, was he was some kind of European. I think he is. Bur- Burns looking it up right now. Hot on the case. But um, uh, I guess, so regardless of him being American or European, so I, I want to know your guys' opinions on using Japan as the backdrop for this type of story, and also him making a very Japanese story, yeah. you know? How do we how do we feel about this uh, appropriation, or not appropriation in a way? I mean, this could be my bias of being into Wes Anderson's work, but I think... His work is made with such craftsmanship that it doesn't feel so much like appropriation. It feels more like celebration. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's specific in the way that he makes this movie that they say right at the top, like, all of the characters are speaking their native languages. <laughs> you know, I mean... But, the, you, but he's you, translating the dogs. He's yeah. translating the dogs. He's translating from barking. Right. To English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fun. And, like, you know, I've seen some stuff come up with, like, oh, well, all the main character dogs are portrayed by white men. And it's just like, yeah, they are, but they're, like, that Wes Anderson crew, you know? Yeah. It's Bill Murray and... Um, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. And Edward Norton. Edward Norton. You, like, and these, like, aren't, like, Japanese breeds even right you know? not that it even like, really matters doesn't really matter like, so much as just like yeah it's, it's wes anderson trip. he's gonna get those people to be in his movies because like they work so well together and yeah. it's his choice and he can put but like you know and the, the japanese characters are being are played japanese. by japanese, are japanese who are speaking japanese who are speaking japanese yeah. and like the japanese in this movie is lovely i think it's yeah. lovely to hear like real japanese and like the way that the movie handles language in that way that it's not just there's not just subtitles for every time someone speaks Japanese. You right. know, there are ways in which that Japanese is interpreted interpreted or translated for the audience, but it's done in like I think a unique and interesting way in most cases. And I think all of like the Japanese ness around it, like it takes place in a fictional Japanese setting yeah. as well as, you know, fictional this Japanese island. government. Yeah, and, it's called yeah. like Mega City or um uh, Megasaki. Megasaki. Megasaki, Megasaki yeah. which is a pretty good fictional Japanese. <laughs> I think city. so, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think all that stuff is handled really well, and I think it's done with an, a, a level of craftsmanship that it doesn't feel like he's just appropriating Japanese culture. Yeah. It just it just feels like he's exploring that space. Um, and yeah, obviously he's not Japanese, but that doesn't exclude him as a creator to explore that space. And I think he does it well enough that it it doesn't feel tacky. Burn, you have the scoop, and also same question: How do you feel about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, Wes Anderson was born in Houston, Texas. Fuck. But he lives in Paris now. Nice. So he's a man of the world. He is a man of the world. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't he's belong. Very he doesn't belong to us. No. <laughs> That's why I got him confused with a European man because he belongs to the world. Yes. My bad. Um, <laughs> but how do you feel about same idea, like uh, appropriation versus celebration? Also, using Japan to tell the story in a way. Uh, what, what do you feel about that, Burn? Watching the trailers for this and really only seeing the Tracy character, the Greta Gerwig <clears throat> character, yeah. speak in English, I definitely went into this film thinking more characters would be speaking English. And so I found it a treat to see it handled in such a way that a lot of the dialogue is lost, mm-hmm. which I thought speaks to the actual story 
with the dogs being the main character. Yeah. Like, they are the voice of the entire film. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the Kabuki level theater because people go and watch Kabuki and don't necessarily know what's going on either. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. felt like that was done, as you said, with reverence and a celebration. I thought it really could have veered negative, yeah. but it wasn't, and it never did. And I think it's more <clears> to <throat> take on our current state of affairs in the U.S. It has a lot more to say about American politics than it does and about Japanese. anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And well, I think not that saying I don't really know that much about Japanese politics, but this sure. is, seems very much pointed towards, towards American us. politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a mirror at this point, definitely. And I thought it was handled really well, and we can get into this later on. Characters have turnarounds. Uh, mm-hmm. the characters aren't necessarily painted in one light the entire time. Mm-hmm. They have arcs. They have arcs, yes. as every character should. And I think that was reflected well in the storytelling, and it fit awesome, awesomely in Wes Anderson's storytelling kind of as a, as a whole. He has a yeah. very common theme that we will get into later mm. that was very well mimicked in this film. Yeah. And yes, he did happen to use a culture that is foreign to me to tell the story. Foreign to him. Foreign to him. Yeah. But he seemed like he really did his research well and created this world that I felt wasn't offensive. Yeah. Can we say we're in the best seats to say things like that? Not necessarily, but we can have our opinions. And I I think it was handled well. It felt fun to me to be in that space and like kind of just be immersed in that sort of culture for a little while. And to me, like knowing only tangential things about Japanese culture, really like just feeling like this is... Wes Anderson as a creator exploring that space yeah. and doing well by it, I think, honoring it, really. I remember as a child seeing an Alvin and the Chipmunks, like, 30-minute movie where they do kabuki theater, and it's yeah. set in Japan, mm-hmm. and that, like, as a child you're watching, it's very fun. That yeah. was done in poor taste. Yeah. <laughs> this was not. Yeah. I, I kind of like it when movies use, like, kabuki theater as, like, their exposition. Like, it's like, hey, I'll, I'll fucking watch that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You do it cool, I'm with it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with both you guys. I think that uh, it is much more of a celebration. I, I think a creator like Wes Anderson, uh, I think... He likes to push himself creatively and he likes to have stories that he wants to push and explore in different ways. And I think going using Japan as the place to have his story, um, I, I don't find it, I, I don't find the way he did it offensive at all. And, like, of course, like when you have uh, a white person or just any person, you know, tackling a different culture narratively or something that's not you know, theirs, uh, there could be, there's room for error, but I think he handled it very well. Um, and I think what we have to talk about just how fucking pretty the movie is. Oh my God. It's just painfully good looking. From like the moment one, it's just like striking how visually astounding it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the music is also amazing. Like the constant, like Japanese drums Mm -hmm. going on loved the music definitely if they released like a record of that I'm yeah. like give me yeah. one of those I'll take one of yeah, those you know the album art is going to be amazing and also it's going to sound great uh-huh. yeah I mean like Fantastic Mr. Fox is also a strikingly beautiful movie and uh, we went to Al- we went to Almo Draft House to see this which uh, shout out to them always a good time sick time nice to have some some booze while you're watching movies mm-hmm. but um, you know they were they have like these little reels up at first 
and they kind of go through Wes Anderson's like movie history and like things they like about it, and, and it's a cool little like thing to include before the movie. Definitely well, a place that celebrates like this film type in of general. Film. Absolutely, yeah. and I think uh, one of the things I saw they brought up was like when he was doing Fantastic Mr. Fox, like the level of control he has over everything in that world. So like every character movement and everything they're doing is like that Wes Anderson style, like. From when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie and you have like the steady cam of like things like in, like hands in a frame cooking or making something like that same uh, stylist like style transfers to everything the characters are doing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think the, the beginning of Isle of Dogs is like before they they kind of go into the exposition of like what is happening in this world. Why are why are we focusing on dogs? They, it's just like a man who. He's just lighting candles. He's just lighting candles. And it looks incredible. It's just incredible. The way everything moves, it's mm. just so meticulous. And you can tell there's so much care and thought that goes into this. There's yeah. two scenes that stick out to me that I won't talk about in too much detail. But there's there's a cooking scene. Yes. And then there's a medical scene later mm-hmm. on. And both of those, just every movement in within those scenes and i think this carries throughout the whole move the movie but it, it's really like apparent in these scenes it's just yeah. so deliberate and so just perfect like everything and then you know his use of symmetry is always in there as well and yeah. the use of symmetry in that first scene where the man mm-hmm. is lighting candles is also very striking yeah absolutely and uh, his, his use of color palette and things like that the colors like, are just it's fantastic oh man and they capture the story, like... So you know, striking. In, in Fantastic Mr. Fox, he uses a lot of kind of, like, brown, beiges... Kind of fall earth, colors. Like fall yeah. Col- yeah, odd, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Nature Very, like, Earth-centric, kind of, but you kind of maybe feel like you're in farm country, maybe, like, mm-hmm. Midwestern, who really knows, mm-hmm. but definitely, like, fall, for sure. And in this movie, it feels very, like, dirty, and like industrial, yeah. industrial. And, and steel, you know. But also strikingly, like, you know, there are scenes of beauty as well, like that very first intro scene. Yeah. And later mm-hmm. on, there's a lot of color packed into a lot of his scenes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of use of bright reds, mm-hmm. like the contrast of like very white whites and bright reds on each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just pops so strongly. I would love to... to have a documentary about him just doing research on Japan. Oh and like what... What about Japan, like, strikes him... Maybe that's not even the, the way it transfers, but, like, what about Japan, like, kind of inspires him to tell these stories? And, like, I think normally... I think Wes Anderson usually tells... He does a lot of stories about, like, masculinity. Um, yes. And, like, I, you know, or, like, that masculinity is always, like, a prevalent theme, and I think, in his movies. Whether it's the focus or not. Yes. Um, I think you could find, like, that thematic there as well. But mm-hmm. I think this movie... Um, doesn't necessarily deal with... I mean, I'm sure you can find, like, some threads of, like, him discovering or exploring masculinity in the film. We have It's a male-centric cast for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, this movie, it feels like a very different Wes Anderson animal, and I welcome it. I think it's very cool. Absolutely. Uh, how do you guys feel this movie stacks up thematically to maybe his previous films? Like, what about it that is he doing differently is something that you like or maybe could have wanted to see more of while you're watching the film? Sure. Uh, with Fantastic Mr. Fox and comparing these two films instantly. Yeah, uh, two, just his two animations. The two films, animated right? films, yeah, that he's done. I will say, you kind of know that this is going to be, as you said, a different animal. Mm-hmm. When one of the first scenes in the film is shooting the interior of like the city hall, essentially, where they hold all of their conferences slash 
uh, I don't know what you would call elections, them, speeches, kind elections, of, yeah. kind yeah. of. Conferences, all, all it's, politics it's like a press happen. conference, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. And you see the three different layers. You see, like, the upper balcony, the lower balcony, and then the floor. And you see all of those different faces. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, immediately following that, it goes to, like, a camera's take on those faces. And they're animated. I they're, like, flat that. 2D animation. Yeah, the, the I love that so much. As, like, every time that you see them um, pretty much on a TV. On a screen. Movie, yeah, yeah, on a screen. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like... This blend of the stop motion animation, but also you can tell that it's like it's like drawn, it's like hand drawn as well. Yeah. yeah, those it's it's striking how yeah. good it looks. Exactly. That was such a cool effect from yeah. the first time they show it, and then they continue. They bring it back the a few times. Movie. Oh, I really like that a lot. But I think that stark juxtaposition of what we're seeing and what the characters in the world see. Hmm. I would hate to say, and I'd be remiss to say, I can't actively say that he hasn't put like this level of detail into any of his other films because he certainly has yeah but yeah this kind of seems like the evolution of wes anderson it's all the culmination of things that he has learned in the past to tell not necessarily a deeper story but a multi-layered story in a way that he's never Mm -hmm. told before i think it's that control he has over like every aspect of the movie right Um, because he does have that level of detail in his other films like i think Everything you see on the walls of, like, a dirty, crowded space, he mm-hmm. picked. Like, especially in, like, the rooms of Moonrise Kingdom. Like, he figured tra- out everything to put right. there, you know? Or when they're traveling in uh, India. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. those scenes are beautiful. Absolutely. Darjeeling. And Darjeeling mm-hmm. Limited, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jack, what things does, do you think he explores in this movie that you found different and really interesting and maybe wanted to see more of? I think one thing that was... Another visual thing that was striking to me was just the level of detail on the puppets themselves yeah like from fantastic mr fox which i think is a very visually striking movie like especially having a lot more human characters mm-hmm. in this um the detail in the animation and in the puppets themselves is just yeah the mayor i think is like one of the best looking puppets i've ever seen yeah like it's amazing mm-hmm. um but i do like i like how this is a movie that is set you know it's not super beating you over the head with it but there are themes in there that reflect modern society right now and right. are topical for right now but are still i think timeless in the way that you know the idea that that fear of an other can sway public opinion in a way that can be dangerous mm-hmm. very dangerous i mean they convince the public to hate dogs how do you like, in what world do you I think mean, that you could know, ever it's, happen yeah. it's hyperbolic in that way but you can see especially with you know everything that's going on as far as the media right now and the way that the current administration is using the media as a weapon or as a tool you know mm-hmm. you can see that extrapolation of of control of fe- of of the population through fear yeah um so i thought that was really cool and um I mean, I, I always love his cast that he... Yeah, his was. posse is, is, is yeah. his wolf pack, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> I think Brian Cranston did a great job not, you know, as kind of more of a newcomer to his sort of posse and, and leading the way in a big way in Yeah, I think movie. this was his inaugural yeah. role. Yeah, he's I don't the, think he's been in anything Wes Anderson He was before. the George Clooney of, of this he, one. Yes. Yeah. He very much felt like he was <clears throat> the stand-in for George Clooney, but I, I thought... Just by his own merit, I think he did a great job. Yeah. Agreed. He does, you know, he, he's doing like kind of gravelly, uh, 
gravelly Brian Cranston the whole time. Like, yeah, yeah he's in like he's that. He's little on, Walter White. He's on that setting. Yeah, he's Walter White like season season five. Yeah. Almost almost full Heisenberg, but, but not as hard. Like you but. said, like all the characters in this movie has an arc. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, and it is a good character arc. And uh, you know, it's it's it is touching in the like kind of way that his animated films so far, just the two of them, this and Fantastic mm-hmm. Mr. Fox, are a little bit lighter on the themes um, and a little more feel a little more like a hug than something like you know, especially Royal Tenenbaums, which yeah. Really, deal with some darker World issues Tenet as well. Bob's is 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 uh it's like a web work of thematics kind of working together yeah whereas fantastic mr fox and uh isle dog i do think that he brings it not to like a fairy not a fairy tale but like a child's book yes like it feels like a pop-up book that you were flipping through the pages and right. i think it's when you have these stories I think he could tell a Royal Tenenbaums-ish story. At that level of complexity, like narrative structural complexity, I think he could tell that in an anime movie. But I like that when he does these movies, it's like a different Wes Anderson track. Yeah. Like when he does Grand Budapest Hotel, when he does Moonrise Kingdom, when he does Royal Tenenbaums, like those movies are all very different. But they're on a different wavelength a little bit. It it feels... From, uh, from this animated stuff. It feels somewhat lighter. More yeah. light, more lighthearted. In a way, still maintaining like some some heavy darker themes, but just it I don't know something about the, and it just could be the the whimsy that is inherent to the animation, but it feels a little more lighthearted to me. Yeah, I agree with that. Which I am totally down for. Like I it, like I said, fifteen minutes in this movie, I was just ear to ear smile, just <laughs> so happy. I can't imagine anyone watching it and being like, like I'm not enjoying it. It's like it's just get out of here. Yeah. It's like tickling you the whole time. Like it's just lovely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was a little annoyed and distracted because the people sitting behind us would not stop talking the entire they time, were which I was gonna lose my mind. I'm I bad mean, luck for movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. You know, it is Bernadette's fault for sure. <laughs> Anytime yeah. we go and see a movie together, I, I was waiting for someone to start snoring. Like I was just waiting for it. I would have gotten uh, up and dumped a drink on them if yeah. they were snoring hey. in this movie. I'm not. I'm not. Don't fuck this up for me. I can only see this movie the first time once. True. Giving them a little wasabi poison. Yes. Yeah, little, give them some of that wasabi poison. Yes, I will. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, I like Alamo, but sometimes you have to order or the people come in. It's a little distracting. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. yeah but it's not It's not the worst. I don't know what any better way to do it would be. I'm going to see right. this movie again, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely want to see this movie again. But, you know, you can only experience it the, the, the first, first time, time once. True. So. Yeah, well, if this experience was any indication, it's only going to get better and better and better. I'm I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, think I, so. I like that he's been doing the kind of... It's been one-off, one-on in terms of animated stuff, right? Recently. Re- like, since Phantasm Mr. Fox. It's been Mr. Well, then, Fox, Budapest. No. 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 Moonrise Moon Kingdom. Kingdom. Oh. Then Grand Budapest, right? Yes, then you're and right. And then this. I thought Moonrise was before Phantasm Mr. Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox, but you're right. Yeah, I don't think so. No, yeah. I think you're you're right. It's the two live action ones in between these guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if necessarily he'll stick to a, a schedule like that, but no, I would I mean, like him to pace out the animated movies. So we don't get them a lot. Yeah, yeah. don't yeah. do it with these. But no, I do. They're lovely, just yeah, the way they are. I love the puppetry so much. Mm-hmm. It made me, you know, watching this flick. It makes me be like, I can't wait for him to come back and do and do a live action one. Like, yeah, it kind of yeah. what's your appetite for the other one now? You know. Mm-hmm. I would kind of be cool even with getting back to basics and him doing more of like a bottle rocket type thing. That'd be cool too. Yeah. That would be neat. It's, I'm curious, he knows where he'll, where he can go next, but I'm for curious sure. like where, what's kind of left for him to tackle 
not that I think that he's covered all bastions of storytelling or anything yeah. like that, but you know, his his body of work is now like very diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm just I'm very curious and excited for what he does next. Um, I'm sure he'll think of something that none of the three of us could think of. That <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he does best, right? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he's going to make a uh, third Star Trek movie. He's a more... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tarantino's going to make one, and then he'll make one right after that. I will watch, I would, I will watch both of them. Sure. <laughs> uh, is there anything spoiler-free you guys want to include? Or you think, I think we're getting ready to talk about specifics. Talked about... The, I just want to touch on the music one more time. I really oh, yeah. love the music yeah. in this. Alexandre Desplat. Yeah. yeah. Display. There you yeah. go. It I, was not Mark Mothersbaugh, which is like his normal go-to, mm-hmm. but also Makes really sense because he's doing music. You know, something a little different with this. Right, right. Um, he did yeah. the music for uh, Shape of Water, so he just came okay. off of an awesome Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there you cool. go. Yeah. Yeah, I think the music in this movie is... And it's like, it's this... The, it's the mostly perc- drumming. It's, it's mostly, mostly drumming, and you yeah. know the percussion crescendos and falls depending on where the action is in the movie or where, or where the tension is rising. Yes, and uh, but it kind of feels like you know the movie almost feels like it's just like kind of one kind of continuous like exactly. It's just like and it will get louder or quieter as things are ebbing and flowing. Well, it's it starts off in the credit sequence with like a drum, you know, a percussion. It immediately immerses you in that. Yeah, yeah, and even the like the detail on the drummer, the pup, the puppets like drumming, like they're actually drumming. It's not like they're just you know it looks like it matches what they're supposed to be doing. And it's just it just all is done to such a high level of detail. Mm -hmm. It's just I I don't know. It's hard not to admire, even if like. The charm doesn't work for you because I, I understand that it is a very particular kind of charm and I can see how you, it could be divisive. But just as a filmmaker, he puts so much craft into everything he does that I don't know. If you can't at least appreciate it on that level, then you're not really looking. He's one of the most, I, um, I don't know if you guys have ever read any of his like screenplays. They're some of the most like they're hard to read because they're like they're so meticulous. There's there's so much detail. Like you know, you think his movies are talkies, right? You think they're like mostly dialogue. The screenplays like there's. <laughs> I swear to God, I was reading. No, I was reading there's so much movement in there as there's well. There's so much happening, but so also important. just his attention to detail in terms of like I think I was reading Moonrise Kingdom and like what I was saying, he picks out everything in the room. Like he picked it out before they like are seeing what the sets are going to look like. Yeah. Like he's just like, there's a record player and weird, like Zeusophone or like whatever. Like yeah. he it's like a red book in the, in the shelf. Blah, blah, blah. Like it's, he is a specific man. Mm-hmm. And um, it shows, I think it, it yeah. pays off for his style. I mean, Wes Anderson is the kind of director that you could pick his movies out from like a two second clip. Like, you yeah. know, just because they are so, in his style and his style is so distinct and well carved out for what it is that i mean for me it really works perfectly but like i said i just it's there's so much craft there that it's yeah. hard to understand anyone who can't even appreciate it just from like you know the craft aspect. this is a well-made movie right right maybe the story didn't work for you yeah or, or maybe you know within the, the context of have you, his other yeah. movies like maybe it just doesn't you know it doesn't land with you as well as the other ones but it's just so well made, so well put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berta, anything before we switch to spoilers? Uh, yeah, I agree with everything that you've been saying. And I, I'm not saying I'm like a tough girl or whatever, but mm-hmm. when I go into films, I'm not looking to actively cry ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm just reacting the way my body happens to react. Mm-hmm. And when those scenes are up on the screen and your body has no other way to react other than just to cry either out of joy or appreciation yeah. or yeah. sadness... 
how can you say no to that? Yeah. Yeah. I welled up multiple times during this movie. Sometimes out of joy. Sometimes of just of how happy like, I was. It's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> and then other times because, you know. Something serious is going down. Right. Yeah. I already welled up before the movie started with that dang Mr. Rogers trailer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time that I thing, see that. That, thing, that was my first time I was seeing it. Yeah, I also, I like, saw it also. I'm watching, I'm like, I didn't even, like, I didn't even watch Mr. Rogers as a fucking kid. And this is beautiful. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I hated feeling Sorry, Robbie. Any last things for you? Uh, for me, no. I think you guys kind of covered the bases. I'm ready to talk about who dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I will say immediately after this commercial break. So if As you, you don't want to do. know who who done it at the end of this classic, who did it? Uh, don't listen. Don't listen anymore. Don't unfollow us on everything. <laughs> don't buy a fucking t-shirt. Get out of here. But uh, if you want to, but, but the thing is, we recommend seeing this movie. Yes, definitely see this movie. So. It's super good. It's probably. Um, in the top two best movies of the year, and by probably I'm saying that's a fact. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie, uh, thank you for listening, and come back to this episode after you've seen it, so you can yeah, we can chat can, about we can it. Chat, we can talk yeah. about it. We can talk about it as a couple couple of friends. I mean, you know? You're always free when you listen to this to just interject. I mean, obviously <laughs> we cannot hear you, but you're welcome to. Yeah, but if you, what was that? You can yell and argue. Oh, actually, can... <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. let it out. Yes, go, you know, no, it's, go uh, ahead. that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way. Wow, you they're should just nodding vigorously and smiling now. Yeah, and then now they're vomiting violently on the floor. Oh, no. Okay, well, and we drawing should... dogs in it. We should take a break then. All right, we'll be right back with some spoilies. See you soon. Welcome to another episode of It's Fitz, where Story Screen's film laureate, Brian Robert Fitzgibbons, speaks on a film. Today, Fitz will discuss the 1995 animated classic, Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story. Is that the first Pixar film ever made? Probably not. Is it the first one that everybody remembers? Most likely. Um, Woody and Buzz were like just hogging the whole thing when he had Mr. Potato Head and those gummy bears. There's no fucking gummy bears. I can't think of any, like, uh, Mr. Potato Head was probably the worst um, secondary character in the movie. But anyway. It's a cartoon, but it's the first Pixar thing. Those things are like real, kind of, kind of fake. I don't want to talk about Toy Story. This has been another episode of It's Fits. And we're back to talk about spoilers for Isle of Dogs. When the Death Star blows up Alderaan in that movie, I thought it was a little weird because it came out of nowhere and all those people on that planet died. Yeah, surprising. <laughs> yeah, and it then Mufasa surprising. also died and that was very sad. Also, kind of a one-two gut punch there. Yeah, it was just a lot. Especially in, it happened in five minutes. And <laughs> then Snape was the trifecta. And then Sna- yeah, and yeah. then how are you going to kill Snape? Snape? Snape was like always, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, now we're going to talk specific and spoilies. Uh, I'm not really sure... 
where to begin? Is there like maybe like particular moments you guys want to really well, dive into and talk about? We mentioned in the non-spoiler part about how this world kind of exists in. Um, they set up in the beginning like the history, right? They they tell you like the story, which has been like that's happened a lot in movies so far. Like you've got Black Panther, like the beginning scene. Yeah, I feel like the Marvel movies generally have. So, so like, like lore building. Yeah, kinda. I I bet if we watched like Doctor Strange, they'd be like in the multiverse, blah, like yeah, you know, some weird shit. Like but that. then they just did it in Tomb Raider, also. They did do it in Tomb Raider, um, which was also Japanese. Oh uh, yeah, and way way less well executed than yes. this movie. <laughs> um, yes, that was Hurricane definitely Heist worse. Tells you about where what hurricanes are. Yep. Yeah, that was kind of weird. <laughs> yes. I remembered the name of the. Um, person from tomb raider like the other day and it like came to me randomly and i was like oh it's hikomo or something like that <laughs> and i forgot it again but the other no, it's back just i did remember that the other I day take it, you anyway, forgot it for the podcast. on the podcast i forgot it yeah, <laughs> yeah of oh, course yeah. i did a name that i needed to recall for the podcast absolutely i forgot she, gone. she was gone um <laughs> down the drain but for this movie i thought it was interesting how they like contextualized it with this like eternal struggle of cats and dogs yeah that is carried on by this one family who be who is the mayor mm-hmm. and is kind of seeding that idea that the mayor um again name i forgot do you have it up in front kobayashi? of you kobayashi kobayashi yeah mm-hmm. it, it like runs this kind of empire that is like anti dog mm-hmm. and as the mayor and the acting politician of uh, of the city is like enacting his anti-dog vendetta by as i was kind of saying before the break like sowing the seeds of fear and creating this othering dogs basically by creating this fear just because he has this like personal historical vendetta that was born into his family from generations ago like weird that he chose to give his uh ward a dog in the first place though right you know it's like he was trying to kind of fight the the internal struggle yeah yeah and then yeah. didn't eventually, quite know how to handle it and then right. maybe one i mean uh, you know eventually we learned that uh kobayashi mm-hmm. we learned that he is you know he his heart is he's not completely you know turned to dust like right. he has right. some good in him they, still they sort of a little bit seem to be implying that it was that weird tall man right. really, i'm not really quite sure he's kind of like the, the steve bannon yeah. of the, yeah. uh, of the situation here, he also puppet string. Man. He also looks like a puppet version of the giant from Twin Peaks. Yeah, he does kind of yeah. just turn green and Frankenstein. A little bit more. He, he was yeah. hard to look at. He was, was pretty really, really, really scary. Yeah, uh, but I, I thought it was really interesting how they use that like political backdrop that they came ba- came back to him multiple times mm-hmm. of like this administration that is sowing fear into the the population, using the fear to progress their own agenda mm-hmm. and suppressing truth in the way that like when they you know he has a political opponent of the scientist and he is repressing you know the advances of the scientist and also you know using kind of cloak and dagger methods to take out his opponent and then in doing so tells the you know the general population oh this was suicide and then like right. just yeah. trying to kind of like it's this like theme of changing the narrative from What's an administrative point of view, right, and like controlling the population by manipulating the the narrative that they are ingesting, right. and that's like the kind of high level like message of yeah. the movie. And like 
I guess in that message, just the idea, like I said again at the top, like that you could make people hate dogs. Like what happened to man's best friend, yeah. right? Like the darkest projection of that is like that the general population could be manipulated into hating anything. Right, right. Um, and I think that's a strong theme for, you know, that's topical for right now. Yeah, I agree. Burn. Um, what other what moments that now, now that we're we took in our spoiler free gloves off? Where are sure. some things you really want to chew on and dive into? Well, just going off of that, I I will say I don't know quite what to make of the cat situation. I'll, I'll yeah. think about that more <laughs> so as we go. They didn't really leverage one. the cats very much. But the characters. No, yeah. and it was a shame that they got locked up with their owners because they didn't seem like they were really like a part of the situation. They no. were just being their cat selves, just kind of like. We don't really care. We don't but give we a shit. We're evil. cats. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe that's like kind of the point. Like they're so kind of like linked to quote unquote royalty or, or higher status that right. they they don't they're need, latched on. They have the luxury of not giving a shit. They, True. Or so that's much so point. it's like they don't even need to talk because they're just kind of so endowed in this culture and in the status that they have. True. Or even really that I think more so that like this eternal struggle of cats and dogs doesn't really matter. True. It's like how it's, we manipulate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say, though, that earlier when we were talking about the reverence this film pays to Japanese culture, I really sat and was taking it as, like, America, this could be you in the future. Remember right. Japanese internment camps? Yeah. Right. Let's not get back there. Which it like, plays with that imagery as well. It plays right. with Japanese internment camps, but, you know, it, so it culminates in, like, an attempt at dog genocide. Right, right. Yeah. Like, Taking out this particular race of whatever mm-hmm. species, species, yeah, and yeah, I definitely was looking at it as like, yes, they are using Japan as a construct, and they are paying reverence to this culture. But I think it's more of a play on America. Look what you are doing to certain people, right? Yeah. And using Japan specifically as a reminder. Yeah, remember to us what you did to a certain people. A nation, yeah. yeah. And remember what you did in that that reflects like even what, you know, what happened in the Holocaust, which is what they're getting right. at with the dogs. Like we yeah. were kind of like one step away from doing that. Right. Definitely adjacent to it. Um I I kind of wish that the dog posse had maybe a few more lines or development. Uh, yeah, they sort of fell off after the se- like pretty much the, the second point, act, um, yeah. which I, I think I it's good in a way because that I think it gave like the the Japanese speaking Jap- like Japanese characters some more screen time, mm-hmm. more of like a spotlight, and also more, Brian Cranston and Brian Cranston. But I, I mean, one of them needed to have Brian Cranston's character has the biggest arc, and then when they get they finally you know rendezvous with spots again, then mm-hmm. he, he becomes kind of. I think he kind of takes the place of the rest of the dogs. But, you know, in the trailers and stuff, you kind of think you're going to get more time with, like, um, what was it, Ed Norton, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Um, I'm sorry, Grandmaster Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thank you for getting it right. Uh, Bill Bob, Murray. Bill Murray. And Bob Alban. Yes. So, like, you know, you think He's the one I didn't recognize his voice straight what away. What is he from? Bob in Moonrise Kingdom, he plays the narrator, essentially. He's okay. the one who's telling the story of the gotcha. different areas on the island. The narrator of this movie also sounded familiar. Oh, uh, the narrator of this film yeah. in particular? Yeah. When he does, uh, he doesn't really do it too much F. narrating. It Abraham. He played the, the dog that they meet halfway through the film. Is oh, that the, one who, has, oh. the one who has the, the dead eye? Yeah, yes. yeah. 
That was uh, Jupiter. I guess that is right? Jupiter. I just kind of realized now that that's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I th- Although, you could be talking about Francis McDormand, too, who's kind of like a narrator of the film. Well, but we'll get into the that interpreter. later. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that later. Yeah, I think the ways that they... Uh, yeah, so I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more time with them, but I do think it was saved so we got more time with the Japanese characters, which I think right. is good because you don't want to sideline them either. Yeah. Um, but also with the lead dog being mm-hmm. named Chief also speaks to what we did to obviously the Native Americans coming over sure. and taking their culture yeah. away from them. I didn't even kind of think about that. Like, So yeah, the dog double being named rough. Chief, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the way that they do translations in the movie, like language translations in the movie, is like purely brilliant. So clever. Like it's always like... Someone and then you know just to hear um, Atari the the pilot boy in the movie to hear him speak like there's a point where they have to kind of go through like three different layers of like translating what he's saying just for us the audience to hear it right. and I, I was just like this is brilliant mm-hmm. like it's so smart and the way that Wes Anderson plays with the construct of language like I feel like it almost um, like line up with Arrival you know in a way in like a way of. that like. Not Just, Annihilation, Arrival. No, I'm talking. I'm talking about the right movie. <laughs> but you did that once yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the way that you know he he uses language as a device in the film and as um, it, it acts as a fourth wall, and I think that's what's really interesting about language as a construct in the movie. Yeah. It's a fourth wall to us as the audience, not so much even for the dogs and the humans. Like they kind of get each other. They know what's going on. Um, they, they, you know, you have some dogs that even pick up on rumors. So yeah, I like that Jeff Goldblum. Sorry, Grandmaster Jeff Goldblum's character is <laughs> is just like the rumor mill, and yeah. they they address it directly. Like, it was so, a yeah. very fun, like, why funny. You, moment. Why do you do that? He's like, just how like, do you know? Where do you get all these rumors from? He's like, just, I don't know. Dogs talk. I listen. Yeah. This is like that's a good point. Yeah, and also the Oracle who. <laughs> Who, who has television. prophecies, but did, no, he just, just, he can, she can, she can understand TV. TV. Yeah. Who's that again? That's, um... I'll, uh, I'll look it up, but I... That that's probably Tilda I, I, I think it is Tilda yeah. I was bummed that we didn't get her talking more. Um, oh, her I dog d- does look like an alien. Just the like thing about Wes Anderson, though, is like, his... He has so many supporting characters that are played by, you know, very famous actors, yeah. very well-known actors, but he uses them so sparingly. Like, when Which you think good. about... When you think about like Jeff Gold, sorry, Grandmaster Jeff Goldblum's <laughs> role in you with my staff. in Grand Budapest Hotel, <laughs> right. right? Like it's so sparingly used, and when he is, it's like very punctuated. But and, it's and, perfect. Yeah. Like it's yeah, like you with, just um, welcome every line that he has because it's so sparing. Yeah. Same with uh, oh, sorry, Bird, go ahead. I was just saying, I don't know if you guys realized that Angelica Houston was credited as the mute poodle. So it's like she didn't have any oh, lines really? in this film. Okay. Nice. But she was credited as oh, a she's, character. She's Peppermint then, right? No. Oh, um, I don't talk? know who Peppermint was. Hmm. I think Peppermint talks briefly. Maybe well, that first scene. With the, other, the other um, female dog was Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Yes. Um, that's yes. Nutmeg, right? Nutmeg. Nutmeg. Mm-hmm. That's it, yep. Oh, I apologize. It was Corny B. Vance. He was like the narrator at the very beginning of the film that we were talking oh, about. Oh, okay. So... My apologies, listeners. We're correcting as we go. Yeah. Was that listener? You say you forgive Bernadette? Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. oh that was, that was nice. Very nice. Yeah, it was a nice thing for you to say. Thank yeah. you for saying I appreciate that. that. Oh, it was Kara Hayward who played Peppermint, and she plays the, the main female in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, okay. I can't remember oh, her name. Oh, okay. Well, that's but, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. There you go. 
Um, yeah, I do. I, like I said, I, I, I wanted more Tilda Swinton, but I think it's better for an artist to leave people wanting things. Than oh, to, absolutely. Than necessarily fill, fill them up. Yeah. With it. And that's kind of how I feel going back to what you said about the supporting dogs. Like, um, mm-hmm. who do we got? Bill Murray, Bill Murray's character, Grandmaster Jeff Goldblum's character, <laughs> Ed, Norton. Ed Norton's character, Rex King, Boss, and Duke. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I like oh, how they take alpha dogs. they take a little time up up top to like you know like introduce them kind of and do the like talking heads part. And it's, it's funny because I was thinking about when we were watching uh, Annihilation, not Arrival, mm-hmm. um, and we were making fun of the scene where they're all kind of like telling telling us the audience what their package is right but when Wes Anderson does it it's very good <laughs> because he's like poking at it it's, and he's it's like self-aware he, it's funny he's doing like know? Brady Bunch almost of like you know yeah. like the framed head of like looking directly into the camera and like telling like, their tell backstory you exactly like, and the thing it's like it's like this is brilliant it's like you know if you're good at breaking the rules by all means right do that right. you know like i'm into it yeah the fact that these dogs were kind of explaining their lives in the context of oh what's your favorite food what's your favorite meal that yeah. you've ever had mm-hmm. very clever it just works <laughs> the best one is just like uh, a dry kibble mash that has a vitamin, vitamin in it. yeah <laughs> it's, like, uh-huh. it's like why do i have it all the time my, my master's weren't rich yeah <laughs> it's just like it's so good <laughs> um yeah earlier you were talking about the level of language um transcriptions throughout the film. And yeah, I thought it was super clever that even though initially Spots and Atari have that little headset that they communicate Mm -hmm. between each other. Which is funny because they can't understand each other. Yeah, the the headset, when you (laughs) immediately see it, you think, oh, that's going to translate in some other way. And it doesn't. It just makes it so that the master can hear... No, I think it's just so Bruce Spot can hear him yeah. more yeah. so. Like, he can and call to his dog. It's kind of a one-way transition yeah. kind of, kind but of situation. It's so clever. Oh, it's great. But it's funny how the dog is wearing a earpiece that also has a microphone <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. He's like, I can hear you. I can yes. hear you, Master. I can hear, I can hear yes. you. Um, yeah, when you actually meet Spots, he's a great character. You know, he's kind of a tough cop who plays by the rules and has found, <laughs> has found another life in his time in exile. Like, exactly. I like that. That, yes. all, that all works for me. And then uh, there's some real twists and some real, like, moments of... Like, when I was kind of mentioning the moments of darkness and, like, twists, I think... In terms of twists, something I really didn't see coming is when he washed um, Brian Cantor's uh, chief. When he, chief. Like, gives yeah, him that, that whole realized, scene between the it's two. It's amazing, them. yeah. And then really having, good. having Chief kind of take Spot's mantle by the end of the movie. And it's, like, it's a character beat that, like, I didn't think I was going to see something like that. I, I, yeah. like, I, did, I didn't see it coming, you know? Well, right. they, they play Chief up. I mean, they really, like, they they lean a little heavier onto the supporting dogs at first. Mm-hmm. And Chief is kind of there as yeah, okay. kind the, of the, the standout. He's the stray. He he's doesn't, the toughest. He's the toughest. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to help this boy. And then, you know, midway through the second act, they separate the supporting dogs off, and it just becomes Chief and atari and that's when they have did you guys that... think they died when they put him in the i died for a second i was just like wow wes anderson you just fucking murdered because, those like, four dogs because like he kills the uh the scientists like it's yeah, not unceremoniously because really, yeah. you know the lead up to it is like one of the best sequences in the movie yeah <laughs> i want to come back to that we'll get to it yeah. in a second but um i totally thought he killed those guys. i thought i thought so too i was just like oh 
Oh, like, oh no. Oh no. Oh, they just no. killed that guy. <laughs> I felt like it was the scene in Toy Story 3 except for real. Like there was no bad yeah, guy. Just like <laughs> the way he cuts out to like the, it just says like incinerator and crusher and like you gotta hand it to him because of course he's not gonna kill them, right? Uh, but like yeah. in that moment, you're like, oh no! <laughs> you just kill all those dogs. You killed Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, it was like that Louis C.K. skit. Like, of course, but, but maybe. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you like that scene in Toy Story Three where they don't die? Well, if I give you one of these, yeah, exactly. Right. It's very good. But then you have <clears throat> the interaction between Brian Cranston and, and a, 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 sorry, Chief and Atari, and like. It starts off with him throwing the stick, and Brian and, and Chief is just like, "You better not throw that stick and expect me to go get it." Yeah, they don't ask me to fetch it. He's like, "Fetch it." Yeah. And, he's just fetch, like, yeah. and then he's just like, I, "I'm doing this because I feel bad for you." It's like and I'm it's, telling you right now, I don't just, play fetch. You can the see he, he the like warms up to him. You yeah, know? you can see his cold demeanor kind of breaking down in real time in that scene, and then like when he just hands him the biscuit, and he's just like, mm. "Biscuit, biscuit." And it's just like it's just so it just yeah that was the first time I think I like like welled up a little bit. There's a lot of good close-up scenes also. Sorry of of like eyes various characters because there are a lot of striking eyes in this movie as well. A lot of the dogs have very striking eyes. I think the humans too, like Atari and um, Tracy. Yes, but I was also thinking of the the mayor. um, Yes. Kobayashi, mm-hmm. um, his, his eyes in particular, especially by the end of the movie when they're doing some wild shit. Oh yeah, when he's when got he's like, fire in his yeah, eyes. Yeah, and he's like breathing out. The way they do smoke in the movie where it's yes. just a bunch of like tight wisps, like yeah. string. Yeah, yes. it's like this is great. Oh, and when they're fighting and they're like, it's the, just like the <laughs> fighting just looks like cotton kind it's of. It's funny because they do do that in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like yes. the scraps are like, you know, just dust built up and you yeah, see yeah. arms and legs kind of flying out. <laughs> yes. But, um, it's done super well. I think that, um, yeah, the kind of the slow uh, relationship that builds between um, Chief and Atari is is done so meticulously that I didn't expect it to work. I didn't. I yeah. still. I, it feels I'm watching natural. It, it feels natural. Yeah. That's exactly. That's the best way to say it. And um, <clears throat> and I feel like even if that, you know how like uh, Mad Max and. Uh, Logan, they have like those black and white like cuts of the movie where there's no dialogue and it's just the score. Yeah, I think this movie could easily do that as well. Yeah, you, know, you you edit some things around a little bit, but like even the sequence of like them talking and, and forming a relationship, like you could it could just be Brian Cranston's dog just looking at him, just like just watching, just him. like staring up and being like no, and like we've all have had dogs, right, or been in houses with dogs, and like there are times where you're just like trying to talk to the dog you know they don't want to do the thing so they're just, ha- they're just looking at you like but on some doing, level you, you know this. that they understand you get yeah, they yeah. Get it. even when you're like how come you're not listening to me it's not because they don't get it because they don't like, want to do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have uh, some level of autonomy, autonomy here yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to do it <laughs> sorry I also love with Chief's character arc that you don't find out all of the answers which I think is a wonderful touch on his character mm-hmm. when he says like I'm learning all these things about me that I might not have been right about, mm-hmm. but I also I still don't know why I bite. Well, I don't they, know why I they, bite. They, right. they put him in a paradigm because he is the dog that bites. So right. he, it's like um, it's like you grow up being a bully, and then people right. are like reinforcing you being a bully, and you're just gonna be a bully forever. You know? Right. Because that's just, what you know. Exactly. And then when people I think tell you, or you know, another good example is in Three Billboards. Yeah. You have a character where if no one's being nice to him. 
and no one's giving him love, mm-hmm. and everyone's telling him he's a bad guy. Sam, you're he's talking just, about Sam Rockwell's Sam Rockwell's character. Yes. Character, yeah. You're just going to keep being a bad guy, you know? So everyone's telling you, like, that's a stray, that's a bad dog. You're just going to be in that paradigm. You reflect what you get, exactly. what you're given. You, you know, you're just yeah. like, well, I'm not a good dog. And no one else, no one's told me I'm a good dog, so whatever. I've been and borderline told multiple times, but for not chief. definitively. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and for Chief, it's not until Atari shows him that affection, and just like you have that scene where Atari just kind of pets him and gives him the, the biscuit and says, good good dog. <clears throat> it's a good dog. And yeah. that's when it really starts to change for him and it breaks down and he has the scene, I think it's it's after that where he says like, I think I bite just because I was scared. Right. You know? Right. He kind of he gets it. Well, I really liked it too that he was like, I still bite. And Nutmeg's like, that's good because I don't like tame animals. Tame animals. Oh, yeah. Tame animals. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> that was a... <laughs> A fun way of like building the relationship and be like, so now how do you feel about having puppies? Like kind of a PG way to put it for dogs. Like, like these dogs, to, trying these to dogs smash. trying to fuck. Yeah. He's been astray for a while. He's not one. Of, he's not a breeder or anything. He's yeah. like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to smash. What, wait, what was the line? Get a little bit more money. I can get a family going. I think it was Bill Murray's dog or something like that. This is like none of them. None of the ones I like are ever in heat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's just like nice. I mean, the movie like. It's like Contessa Mr. Fox, too, where it's like, these movies are not necessarily kids' movies. No. Not at all. They're, I wouldn't say it is at all. Yeah. I mean, I think a... That's an adult movie that a kid can handle. Can probably handle. Because yeah. they don't quite understand it to the same level. That but I would say, do. like, like 12, 13, rather than, like, you know, 8. I still right. think it'd be pretty complicated between, like, kind of flashbacks and, like... Uh, I, just think, I think it'd be a hard movie for someone... A, a little bit younger to, to kind of follow up. Give 13-year-olds a little more credit. Yeah, I think no, they could that's probably... Fair. I think, but I think, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox has, like, a lot of deep thematics to it as well, but I think it flows a little bit more conventionally. Mm-hmm. I think this movie... Um, it's not that it's hard to follow, but between, like, like it's, it's sequenced in parts with flashbacks and, yeah. you know, I'm sure... I'm not... Listen, I, I'm not doubting the intelligence of teenagers. They can definitely watch a fucking movie. You know, yeah. and enjoy right. it and understand it. But uh, it, it demands a level of attention, I think. I think so as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. yeah. It's not like a six year old's repeat of Frozen that they have on every single no, day. No, it's not lives. like that. But yeah. that's, that's a movie. It's like a, yeah, you said like 12 year old, 13 year old introduction like, yeah. to. I think deeper what one of you said before, it's like, you know, with a movie like Frozen that's built for kids, adults can enjoy. This is built for adults, kids, kids can, can enjoy. enjoy. Yeah. 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 That's a good Venn diagram. Yeah, I think right so. There. And. That's just where we are in the middle. I Adult mean, children. <laughs> That's us. Yeah. Hey. That whole subject matter, too, of do you want to bring a puppy into this world slash do you want to bring a kid into this world is yeah. very topical at this day and age, too. Actually, so, like, I think us millennials, like, yes. you know. I'm or not saying, of the age. To in a way, I think everyone at this in. table, you know, we have seen the fork in the road between, like, you know, settling down and serious, like, you, you sign up to be with this person forever matters or... You know, you are older than when your kid, when your parents had you. Yeah, I'm you know? of the age right now where my mom was pregnant. I'm, I think I am three years older. Yeah. You know, and I have no desire to have children. Right. And not so much because of the state the world's in, more so because what I want out of my life at the current moment. Personal you know? choice, for sure. But I do think that that is a question that does uh, permeate our generation specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. It's on our minds. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's something to think about, mm-hmm. for sure. Especially when you get asked the question, like, who was president when you were born? 
And there's no way in hell I would like to bring a child into this world where they're like, oh, Trump was president when I was yeah, born. Yeah, and that's that not is what awful. Just want. Right. And that's, you know, the movie is definitely positing, like, that same thematic. Questioning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what's some of everybody's favorite shots in the movie? I know Jack had one you really want to talk about. Maybe you had two. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, maybe it's not my favorite shot per se, sequence, but the sequence, perhaps, it, yeah. I really love this, the sequence where they're making the sushi. It's incredible. Yeah. That's the spaghetti scene of the movie. Well, it's, it's, in a way. well, it, it mirrors like kind of the artistry that you, that you can get when someone is actually putting together sushi like that. It right. reminds me of like watching Jiro Dreams of Sushi and seeing right. like how particular and how, Economic, every single movement that happens there is. There's a flow that goes into like the the taste matrix of the dish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also brutal in the way that like he, he just like hammers down the fish onto the table it's all and then like chops living, off the fish's yeah. head, and it's still like moving its mouth up and down. Or the crab uh, that he just kind of like he just rips the shell, beats straight the off. shell yeah. open, and then like takes the innards out. Yeah. Um. But that scene is just a delight. And then there's I think a the fact that hands crafted that's that stop motion scene that yeah. people are moving that around. I mean, like, the level of talent what? just to pull that off is yeah. unbelievable to get the rhythm and the timing there, and then mm-hmm. just how like fluid it is as yeah. well. And then similarly, at the end of the movie, there is a transpl- a kidney transplant scene, and for the same the same way, just the way that you know the doctors are operating. Um, it's just so it's the same thing it's the economy of motion that's going on there it's just so well done that mm-hmm. I love them yeah mm-hmm. like, I never thought in a you know when we were growing up stop motion was something that you would see in Nightmare for Christmas or movies like that and not like Chicken Run movies, Chicken Run I mean, hey, all yeah, the like run. Wallace and Gromit studio all that stuff movies is great but like awesome. never in my wildest dreams and, and not knocking those because those are for their time feats of engineering and filmmaking for sure but Mm -hmm. i never thought in my wildest imagination that i would see a like a like a kidney transplant in stop motion or even like the preparation of sushi like those it blows my mind yeah to think about those were sets that people put together and and like animated by took took a frame of moving like the kidney out (laughs) like it's it's insanity um did you see Kubo and the Two Strings. I heard you guys. You guys. I heard it's very good. I need to. Please see that movie. (laughs) Absolutely. That one's definitely more firmly in the camp of like made for kids. Yeah, sure. More like made for kids, adults can enjoy. Mm -hmm. But it's the same level. Like the the puppetry is amazing. Yeah. Burn. What are your uh, favorite sequences or or shots in the movie? It's hard to separate a lot of these scenes because they just all move so seamlessly. It flows. But I will say the uh, pacing of the movie is very very good. Just to call out a few for conversation's sake, mm-hmm. for multiple reasons, I really enjoyed the scene where Tracy goes to the bar to encounter oh, Yoko yeah. Ono. Yes. Who was actually voiced by Yoko Ono. Is it really? Yeah. I thought that was really funny. That it was, is hilarious. I thought it was just a coincidence that it's like, oh, his research assistant, Yoko Ono. I was like, what? <laughs> Bizarre. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I love that scene where she has the giant book of... Uh, information yeah. regarding the case or regarding the situation at hand saying do I have the story 
is the research I have accrued correct? Yeah. Do I, I should, have it? Confirm my conspiracy theory. And yes. they slide the and chocolate she, yeah, milk the down there, and she just downs it and puts it down on the table. Oh, man, Every movement has style and character behind it. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. So much. So I really loved that scene. I thought that scene kind of stood out in the film because it was a little bit different. Especially yeah. seeing a character uh, completely just wrecked emotionally. Yeah, broken to down. To see that Yoko Ono, Yoko ono character being so distraught and pallid in it's character. It's crazy. Just like, you know, it's, it's, she, is a, she was a part of like the representation of science in this movie. Right. Yeah. And it's also, it just hurts me to think about, you know, with what our uh, administration administration is doing to like the work science of science and, and you know yeah. and the environment and learning it's just like uh, it's you know it's exhausting it's exhausting oh, you know what they're doing to kind of dismantle what it, like what it means to understand the confines of our not world, only science you know? but just our conventions of truth yeah what right. is yeah and then I also very much enjoyed the scene when Chief and Atari are alone for the first time and they're mm-hmm. kind of in that amusement park and he says don't you dare go up there Yes. This is not the plan. Yeah. And it was the He's pagoda slide. Standing mm-hmm. underneath the you must be this tall and just yeah. like making the measuring. Yeah, that's, so, that's so funny. <laughs> and Pagoda is the character who is Royal Tenenbaum yes. like assistant slash henchman. Ah, and he's an actor good. who's very prevalent in Wes Anderson's films. Yes. So I really liked the callback to be like, You can't go on that pagoda slide. What are you doing? This isn't the plan. And I feel like that was a hark back to like Royal Tenenbaum. I think Tenenbaums, one of the lines really he was like he was just like well, you're not going on that. You're not tall enough anyway. After yeah. he spends like a minute like measuring himself, like he, Brian Cranston is like, oh, you're not tall enough, so we wouldn't go on that slide anyway. So let's he go. says, he's like, no, he says like, he says it in a particular way. He's like, yeah. anyway, you don't mean the conventions. Yes. Like, yeah. it's, it's just in the way that like Wes Anderson he writes dialogue. Like it's it's, uh, it's it's very direct, but it still is very flowery in a way too. Yes. Yeah. Um, he yeah. uses so many extra. It's words, just creative, and I love yes. it. Yeah. yeah. I like the way that the um, they're describing the the symptoms of the dog flu. Yes. And they say something like nasal, uh, rapid nasal excretions or yeah. something like that. Sneeze. And it just sneezes. Like <laughs> yeah. the timing is so good. And the way that they continue to sneeze throughout the movie is just so funny. Mm-hmm. I love too how the dogs talk to Atari as a human would talk to a dog. <laughs> yeah. Like the commands they yes. give. Mm-hmm. So good. I think for me, I have like three sequences I kind of have in mind. Uh, one is when they're in the uh, science lab where they're making the cure. That's and it's so like, good. <clears throat> like the weird, like the machines that are like whirring and lighting up, and it, it, it looks incredible. And, and they're then, speaking a <clears throat> lot of Japanese in those. Yeah, scenes. those are probably the most like heavily ja- like Japanese speaking scenes. And then the there's no just, translation. Then the like. machine just spits out the card that says "dog flu, dog flu cured." <laughs> yeah, and they have like the three cards. It's just like this fixes this, this alleviates this, this fixes that. It's yeah. so good. And then. Um, uh, when they're uh, when they're in the incinerator, when the dogs are in the incinerator, like that kind of like on the track. Yes. Um, where they're kind of fading in between being silhouettes and just like all the destruction that's happening, I think looks really good. And my third and, and most favorite is when they go into the kind of the 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 place where all the politics happens, the the yes. hall at yeah, the end yeah. of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, uh, Atari walks in with all the dogs. They just got back from. The island and um, it's the camera's low and it's like a POV of Atari walking through the aisles of this 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 space this space that has been built by hand that's being animated in real time and 
to me, it like really just reminded me, I'm like, this is like someone built yeah. all of this shit. It's crazy. And like it's someone built a space and now we're getting a first person perspective of moving through it. Yeah. And to me, I was like, that's incredible. And then everything that happens in that scene, I think it just like looks so good as well. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. you mentioned it before when they have the close up on the mayor's face and you see his eyes you know, fill with rage and turn, you know, fill with fire. He's battling and then with he's the exhaling demons, through his you know? nose and you can see the kind of mm-hmm. like smoke come out of his nose that's animated as like almost looks more like like fabric or th- like kind of it's a like cotton thread, sort yeah. of yeah, material. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I also very much enjoyed the scene where the students are putting on that kabuki theater yeah. of the samurai mm-hmm. from the, the story we hear oh, yeah. at the beginning and they show that scene where he's beheading yes. Kobayashi and you get that scene of like this is an actor who's just the head and right. this is an actor who's just the body yes yeah. that was very good so clever that, that was really, very very good just really so much thought good. yeah put into that because clearly during a scene that you would see during any high school play you would see it live but the fact that they're characterizing it as puppets as it's happening so smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good. Um, I like yeah. the payoff. I like the little scenes of <laughs> the hacker guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about <laughs> every about time. Every time he's like, portrayed in a scene, he's like very conspicuous where he is. And it's Smirk very obvious. Like He's yeah. just like not supposed to be there like on the island. And then at the end, you get the payoff with him shutting down their whole system before yes. they can gas the dogs. And it's... Yeah. It's such a fun then all those people moment. get gassed themselves. Like a lot of people die in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I, they're they kind of like taking it. off the helmets. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. I, think, I think they but get poisoned. It would, you know, because that guy, the scientist, sh- who dies, shame he, on you for yeah. No, fuck him. But like <laughs> the guy who the scientist who dies, he has like a drop of the wasabi poison. Right. He's TKO. You know. Right. Like, right. When he yeah. just like but, very has it on his finger and he just like touches it with his tongue and it just like drops yeah yeah that's was, very wes anderson oh, as well yeah. it was heartbreaking to see because it's like you knew he thought it was no good right but the fact that he tested it anyway right yeah right yeah as a scientist you never test things with your mouth right that's kind of like <laughs> that rule very, number that's one a very, yeah I don't even that. really test things with your nose so much that's frowned upon certainly never test them with your yeah. mouth so i'll just ingest this I'll put it in my eyeball. That's yeah. going to be the fastest way to find out if it's bad. No, yeah. it's just the fastest way to get drunk. Oh, right. Never yeah. mind. I thought if it goes in the other way. Yeah, I thought so too. In the downstairs. Um, eyeballs and assholes, <laughs> man. It'll either way. It'll, Same thing. You'll get you'll get fucked up. Mucus membrane. Yeah, it's not the mm. best for you, but you will get fucked up. <laughs> um, is there kind of anything major you guys want to bring up? It, is with movies like these that are just kind of just really good, and like I'm not saying there's not a ton of. Critique Subtext or... or critique, yeah, but you know, I just kind of, I could glow about this movie all day, but to kind of wrap up the discussion, is there anything else you guys really want to touch on or bring up? Hmm. Well, just very briefly, uh, Wes Anderson, we've talked about a lot of themes that he carries throughout his films, mm-hmm. and he's typically known to do the whole bad dad theme, mm-hmm. yeah. which I found very cool because I really did not know if Kobayashi was going to come around by the end of the mm-hmm. film. I kind of thought I it did might not think that would evil. happen, yeah. And granted, he was more of like the bad distant uncle of mm. Atari. I like how they say but... specifically, like, your distant. very distant uncle. <laughs> yeah, it comes up every time they bring him up. <laughs> but it was really nice to see him say, like, this is bad for, for the boys, this is bad for the dogs, this mm-hmm. is bad for everyone. Yeah. And so to see him have that turnaround is very... There's that's no a theme. honor in it. There's no honor in it, yeah. yeah. 
That was kind of uh, Wes Anderson's theme overall, is that these dads are just trying the best that they can, and mm-hmm. they're pretty fucked up, but they yeah. usually turn around by the end of the film. And I found it rewarding that it ended up paying off kind of in the same way. Yeah. I he kind of realizes, that. I think, at the end that, like, this plight that he has against dogs, like, is there really a reason for That's this? unfounded, yeah. 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 What about you, Jack? Anything you want to kind of throw out no, there? No, I think we pretty much touched on the things... That I wanted to say. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this again. Yeah, I definitely want to see it again. Um, I cannot recommend watching this movie more. I think it was super good. It's um, delightful. It's just yeah. It just it feels good. It just feels good to watch, and it looks amazing. If you were to really stop does. any frame of it and like put it in a picture frame, it'd be like the best art in your house. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> maybe I don't. Know. I haven't been to your house, listener, but oh yeah, I'm a dick. Is that what you're saying, listener? You're saying I'm a dick about that? Whatever. You give me a picture of Kobayashi breathing out of his nose. You put that in your house. You have someone come over and be like, that's the best thing you have in your house. And then you're the one who's stupid, not me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get so heated. He does this sometimes. Sorry. You know, he, you know, it's don't okay. Take, yeah. They're passionate. Don't no, take you're right. Side. Yeah, you're right. Don't you're right. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Hot Takes. Um, we'll be back with more hot takes very soon quiet place comes out pretty soon quiet place comes out pretty soon Mm -hmm. we're about to be hitting all the marvel pew pew movies (laughs) and maybe a solo here or there Mm -hmm. Um, indies coming out soon some indies i'm excited to see more smaller movies this year as well Mm -hmm. i agree Uh, they showed the trailer again for eighth grade grade, which looks very very good oh my goodness and we'll be doing more more of all of our shows we have an exciting catherine ray cast coming up uh, mm-hmm. Very soon, about a show that when we first started talking about doing Catherine Cast, we were very excited to to do this particular show. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we have episode one hundred that should be coming out before this. So this might be yeah. You probably already heard. Go back yeah. and check that out. Definitely listen this is to episode one hundred and one dogs. Oh hey, look at that! Another thing about pups. Um, listen to episode one hundred. It's very good. It's very kind of casual roundtable discussion where we. Try and guess everyone's favorite movie. It's kind of shoot the shit around movies. Better. Yeah, yeah. know each other a little bit better and, and you know come together as story screen family. Talk about our favorite movies. Yeah, so yeah. please check that episode out. We both we all really like that and uh, <clears throat> bring more content to you soon. Buy a fucking t-shirt as just please, just please buy a t-shirt. They keep they're so comfortable. They're so comfortable. They look they good comfortable. on you. Nice material, not that crappy like Gildan material. It's no, like no, nice no, stuff. no, no. This shit is that real you know hundred threads, thousands of threads. <laughs> I think. Egyptian spun cotton. Egyptian spun cotton. It's, <laughs> it's not real. that, but it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, they're good shirts. The yeah. silkworm sure. from uh, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, oh. we, ca- we, we, we captured <laughs> both. We captured both of them. They yes. turn away all the shirts for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, guys. Thanks again so much for listening. You can find us on all the social medias, especially Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and our website storiescreenbeacon.com, where there are articles, podcasts. And the fucking t-shirts. So thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye, guys. Hello, goodbye.